message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokea Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. Together. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 down to verse 10. All right, verse 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art the least amongst the princes of Judah, and out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then, then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star did appear. And he, said, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring him word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the child was born. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Well, it's Christmas time, if you can't tell, by the songs that we sing, but not just that. Everywhere you go in the city, if you go in a shop, Christmas music's playing. You stand in the queue, you hear the same song eight times, right? Because you've been in the queue for so long. Um, but this morning, I want to I focus on something from this passage here about the first Christmas. And my topic is what the first Christmas cost. Christmas every year comes just like school fees and house cries. You know it's coming. But every year it seems like, oh, mino redina. You know, got coins, I mean, like, buying one plus something, little piccanini, or me, like, one And Christmas, when you think of it, it's joy, but then you're thinking, ah, where am I going to get the money for this or this or this? When you think about the cost, in the West, in America, the spending is insane. The amount of money that they spend for Christmas, and they, don't let Americans tell you they don't do denials. <laughs> Americans do denial with Visa and MasterCard. They don't go to their one talks, they just do it with the bank. But Christmas is the time for just going in debt because they're trying to do something that they shouldn't do. A family member wrote to us and said, this year things are really tight and you know we want to do this and this for the grandchildren. And I wrote and reminded her. I said, the memories that, that I have of Christmas are not of the gifts, but of the family time. Sit down, okay, okay, story, laugh, that's what I remember. I don't remember the gifts. I don't remember wanting, I have to have this whatever. Back then, you know, it was still something you pushed. It didn't drive itself or fly itself. 
talk to you or anything. It was just a rock. <laughs> but, but in reality, but what we did remember is, is the good times. And we were there and remember this uncle or that uncle that's gone or boo-boo that's gone. And, and it's about that. But what we don't realize that actually the idea of Christmas costing something comes from the very beginning. There was that. And in this, in this passage here that we've read this morning, there are no less than five people or groups that it cost them something for Christmas. And that's what I'd, I'd like to focus on this morning. I want to start with the first one that we come to besides our Lord Jesus, um, which is Herod the king. So read with me verses 1 through 3. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people, the Jewish people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. The first one we come up to is Herod. Now, historically, this Herod is an imposing figure. This is one of those guys that towers above other people. Herod became governor of Judea by selection and appointment of none other than Julius Caesar himself, personally. Now, if you look at world history, Julius Caesar is a famous name, even if you don't know much about him. In Scripture, his nephew had become Caesar, king of Rome. His name was Augustus. We find him in Luke 2, that the birth of Jesus had to do with Augustus taxing the world. Augustus raised Herod's title from governor of Judea to king of Judea. So he has been appointed as king by two Roman emperors who are significant in world history. Herod was an ambitious guy. Now, at the time we come to this text, Herod is very old. He will die within three or four years. He's very old. But his, he's known in, in world history as his, for his ambitious building projects. And I mean extreme, considering Israel is a tiny little portion of the Roman Empire when you look at the building projects undertaken by Herod, very few leaders in the Roman Empire tried to do what he did. And the strange thing was he just had to slap his name on most of them. He built, he built a, a palace for himself. He named it Herodium. wonder where he got that name. But it wasn't enough that he built a, di- a dynamic palace for himself out in the desert. He wanted it up high. Now, he, we, I'll mention in a minute some of the high places that he built up. Herodium, though, he said, I want it in that spot, but we don't have a hill there. The hill's not big enough. And so they undertook to raise a mountain. Now, we're not talking about a little hill. We're talking mountain. They hauled in dirt. Now, this is before excavators, bulldozers. They did it by hand. And they built a mountain, and then he built a palace on top of it. At the bottom of that hill, he built a pool that was large enough to put large boats in. So he could, when he went to Herodium, he could go not just swim in his own private beach and little lake. He could hop in a boat and ride across if he wanted to, all to impress his friends. That was Herodium. He built Masada. Now, those of you that take history seriously, you should just Google M-A-S-A-D-A, Masada. In Hebrew history, Jewish history, it is probably the most significant military thing. All Jewish soldiers are sworn in to the Jewish military, one of the greatest militaries in the world, at Masada. And their theme is, when they go to Masada, never again. No one will defeat us again. Masada, Masada is thousands of feet up in the air on a mountain 
overlooking the Dead Sea. Like it has nothing for itself except it is a strategic military place. Herod said, I'm building a palace up there and a fortress. And using Jewish slave labor, they build a palace on top. Did you know you can't get water in the desert? Did you know when you build on top of a mountain in the desert, do you know where your water's got to come from? Men and women carrying buckets up and down and up and down and up and down. Masada, one of his fortresses. On the other side of the Jordan River, he built another fortress called Machaerus. Now, these fortresses were set out so that from a distance you could see the enemy coming. Because believe it or not, he was paranoid that somebody was going to attack him. And so he built Machaerus. Machaerus is famous for it was the prison where John the Baptist was held when Herod's son had John's head cut off. By the way, the Herod family, you might get confused in the Bible because you read Herod. So Papa is Herod, Piccanini is Herod, Bubu is Herod Antipas. You find the name Herod repeated in there. It's not the same guy. It's the sons doing that, all just as wicked, all just as probably as crazy. But he, he, he built all these other things, Caesarea Maritima on the ocean where Paul was held for two years and tried. Um, it's, it's, if you look at everything Herod built, it was insane. In Jerusalem, he built a palace that was on one of the hills just so he could overlook the whole city and especially the temple. And why? Because he built the most magnificent temple in Jewish history. Solomon built a beautiful temple, and it was magnificent. But Herod said, I'm going to do better than that. And Herod took, uh, Herod took Mount Zion and raised the level of that mountain and made it a giant flat plateau that exists today. Today, if you were to look at a picture of Jerusalem, you'd see the Dome of the Rock. I'll say, holy place below Muslim. It's sitting on the platform Herod built. It's huge. It, it would cover this property. And he just built up the whole thing and leveled it off. Why? Because he could. And he built a magnificent palace. You would think, wow, everybody likes Herod. No, actually, nobody did. The Jews didn't like Herod because he was half Jewish. And it's a very big thing to the Jews to be full-blooded Jew. But he wasn't just half Jewish. He was paranoid. Now, you have a lot paranoid. And, and, and he was paranoid about everybody. And if he thought that you had any designs to take over his kingdom, he just did one thing. He killed you. He killed high priests. He killed three of his own sons toward the end of his life because he was afraid they were going to push in too early. He had ten wives. He had one wife that was his always called his favorite wife. He got jealous of her and her mom, Tambu Mary, and he had those two killed. What a wonderful man. <laughs> this is Herod. He had enemies killed and friends killed, and he knew that people didn't like him in spite of all the things that he built in Jerusalem. They didn't like him because of all the slave labor and the taxation. But he said, this is what I will do, and this is in there. Some people say it, hap it happened, it did not. Thankfully, his sister intervened after his death. He knew that when he died, no one would mourn. He knew that rather they would party and say, I think it's the Wizard of Oz, ding dong, the witch is dead. He knew they would party. So what he did was, as he is dying, as he knows his death is imminent, he orders the arrest of religious leaders and political leaders in Israel and has them all, well, actually, he calls them to, Jerusalem, to Jericho. And when they get to Jericho, he has them arrested, Calaboose, and said, you're not going to leave. And the plan was, when Herod died, execute all those people. So there will be mourning in Israel. They might be mourning those guys, but at least there's mourning 
surrounding my death. By God's grace, that did not come true. The guys were held calaboose, but Herod's sister afterwards said, no, 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 we can't do that. We're not going to do that. This is the kind of guy. Well, are we surprised that he feels the way he does when we come here? I just gave you history. Now we come to the Bible. These, these magi, these, these men have come from the east, the wise men, and they come, and I just like the way the translators put it. In verse 1, it's, it says, in the days of Herod, the little K king, small K king. Verse 2, they came and asked the question, where is the big K king? We want to know the big king. You see, Herod was king of the Jews. So then they come to him and say, where is he that is born king of the Jews? He had 10 wives. None of them were expecting a baby. And he realizes somebody else wants to take over my throne. Who's that? He wants to find out. And, that's, and we see all the things that come out with that. He calls together the priests. He calls together every one of the scriptures. And these guys that knew the scriptures said, well, one day there's going to be a baby born and it'll be born in Bethlehem. Now I love what verse 4 said because I don't know if this is his words or theirs. But it says, he gathered the chief priests, the scribes together, and he demanded them not where the king of the Jews would be born. What did he demand, at least according to Matthew? Where Christ was born. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word, Mashiach, Messiah. He has translated in his mind, king of the Jews to Messiah. And he knows that the Messiah is prophesied to overthrow the kingdoms of this world. So are you following me here? If he can overthrow the kingdoms of the world, he can overthrow my kingdom. The best thing I can do is kill him before that can take place. He just doesn't realize this is God's Messiah, not the world's Messiah. This is what's going through his paranoid mind. So what does it cost Herod at this first Christmas? It costs him his kingdom, but it costs him more than that. It cost him his soul. Why? Well, Jesus would later say, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world? If he has Macarus and Masada, if he has Herodium and a palace in Jerusalem and builds the greatest temple that Jesus himself called my father's house. Herod built that. Jesus said, it's my father's house. What if he's done all that? But Jesus said, what if he loses his own soul? Soul blew him, he something. Life blew him, something. Because life blew him, short blew that's all soul blew, and by stop, all time, all time, all time, ego, ego, ego. And what, what is it worth to give that away? You say everything Herod had, he was miserable. How many people in the history of the world, especially throughout Scripture, the richer they are, the more paranoid they are. Because they're concerned, the more money they have, I'm going to lose it. Where is it? How's it going to happen? How's it going to affect? Herod's missed the whole thing. He even lies. Can I show you this? Look at verse 7. Herod, when he had privily, privately called the wise men and inquired them diligently what time the star appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and kill him. No. What did he say? Worship him. This is worship. He knows whoever this is is more powerful than I can imagine. But rather than really following through to worship him, he demands to kill him, get rid of him. It cost him everything. Everything. Which brings me to the second group. It is the village of Bethlehem. 
Pick up again in verse 4. When he demanded of them, the scribes and the teachers, where Christ should be born, they said unto him, quoting from the book of Micah 5, verse 2, they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least of the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Notice the, the size. It's a, it's a double speak to say, you're not like you're the least. Bethlehem in the days of Jesus, what, eight, ten kilometers from Jerusalem? Shepherds that we read in Luke, no shepherds here, but in Luke we read there are shepherds there, growing flocks, raising sheep for the temple sacrifices. It's a shepherd town. It's not large. In fact, the size of it is, is like, why would you choose for the Messiah to be born here? But God's ways aren't our ways. God sees small things as big things. We tend to think the big things are the only ones that matter. It's the small things that matter. In, in focusing on Bethlehem, this is one of the saddest parts of the entire Christmas narrative. And that is that Bethlehem, it cost them their children. Now, there are, there are church traditions that are way wrong. So hear me about what I'm saying is wrong, but I, I also want to qualify it. There is a church tradition that says 14,000 children were killed in Bethlehem. Those of you that have any idea of doing math, if you have 14,000 children under the age of two, you have a massive population of people. Unless some mamas have been having 10 pickaninnies at once. That's not true. There are not 14,000. There are probably not 1,000. The number is probably significantly smaller, maybe 100. I read the scripture not as saying it killed all the males, as tradition says, because it says here that he ordered the death, verse 16, of all the children in Bethlehem. Since he sends executioners and soldiers to go in, I don't see them going through picking up children to see whether they have blue caps or pink caps. I don't think he, I'm scaling the talk, boy or girl. They're just grabbing small children and killing them. Grabbing small children. Now, you know, any mother worth being a mother is not going to let that happen. So how many mothers died? How many fathers and uncles and aunties died fighting for their children? The cost for Bethlehem was incredible. The thought that what Bethlehem was going to be like, not just for that Day and the house cries that followed because Jewish, Jewish law said you had to bury within 24 hours. They're like, immediately, we got up this morning, we played with our child. And before we went to bed that night, we buried our child and so did the neighbors and so did the neighbors and so did our cousins. The, there are people missing arms who fought back against these soldiers. The thought that Bethlehem would pay such a cost because of one man's crazy ideas. It's beyond me. I, I can't get it. I want to take you to a theological truth, though. Paul in Romans 5, and pastor's been teaching us through Romans. In Romans 5.13, there's a verse that's very powerful. It says, sin is not imputed or charged to you where there is no law. Now, where can you say there is no law? The law of God covers the earth. There's no man exempt from God's law that's, that, that says, summed up by Ezekiel, the soul that sins, it shall die. Paul, the wages of sin is death. 
Who is exempt from that? I'll tell you who's exempt from that. Those who do not understand. And that's going to cover everyone from infancy or in the bell, I can say, all the way up through an age where they just can't comprehend the sin that they commit. And then people whose minds are short. People who are mentally challenged, mentally handicapped. They're not accountable. Why? There is no law. They cannot comprehend the law. And so it's not charged to them. And so under the atonement of Christ, they are covered. They go to heaven. You're like, they never made a profession of faith. What baby can make a profession of faith? What small one-year-old child can tell you, oh, I understand the gospel. I was born a sinner and Jesus died for me. Now, this truth is born out in a beautiful, sad story. Actually, a sad, beautiful, sad story. David committed sin with Bathsheba. You remember that in the Old Testament. David committed sin with Bathsheba and she was expecting. And David, David gets word from the prophet, that child between you two is going to pass away. It's not going to survive. And the Bible says that David went for days fasting and praying and begging God, please, it's not the child's fault. It's not the child's fault. It's my fault. But God went ahead and took the precious one home. But when the precious one went home, David stopped fasting. It says he arose and he washed himself and he said, okay, I'm ready to eat. And his servants were confused. They're like, hold on. Like, all right, now that's all by me planning baby blue, but why? Why now are you getting up and say, okay, let's eat? Now we are all beginning to mourn because the baby passed away. Now we are all going to cry about it. And David said, no. He said, because he had this confidence. He said, he's, he's not going to come back to me. This would be 2 Samuel 12. He said, can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Now, I shall go to him. David already at this stage has the promises of God that he is secure in, in his righteousness with God. He knows he's, David's going with God. David also knows, and it's recorded in Scripture as inspired, that that's where that baby went. Can I say that? The baby, even though it was, was conceived out of wedlock, had done no sin. In itself, that baby had no sin. And, and, and rest assured, if that's your family heritage, where maybe your parents were not married and things like that, listen, you have not sinned. That is not your sin at all. And God doesn't define you by your past. God defines you by your present and your present heart. And so know this, that however you came into this world, the blood of Jesus Christ atoned for that. And what's important right now is the one thing that all of us must face, and that is, I need Jesus. I need to be made put into a right relationship with God. It isn't about heaven and golden streets and mansions and getting out of this sin-cursed world. It's about my relationship to God. And only Christ can restore that, and it's for everyone. Everyone. And those who never get to the age where they understand that they're doing wrong... They are covered. God said that. I didn't. And David gave us the confidence. That baby passed away. It went there. Can I come back to Bethlehem? If you let your mind dwell on what that scene in Bethlehem had to look like, I cannot, you would be a hard-hearted person if you could not cry your eyes out. Murder is bad. But babies? But can I say this? Every infant in Bethlehem Stepped into the presence of God. 
Everyone. I doesn't condone it. It doesn't say kill babies and they go, but know this, heaven being populated by babies. And get this, as far as we can see from scripture in heaven, you don't stay the way you go. If you're lapoon, half broke, boom, you're just pain, pain, pain. Heaven, new body. That's what Paul tells us twice. New body. We are raised new. Those children, grown up. Grown up. They're not stuck as infants. They don't float around with little wings on and playing harps and flutes and things. No, 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 no. They're, they're mature. You go to heaven. Can I say this? Mom, if you've lost a dear child in childbirth or, or in a miscarriage, unborn babies are babies. And babies are humans. Humans have souls. They're there. You're like, I never saw it. I never saw the child. You'll see them. You'll see him. And can I, can I give you this? In the midst of any heartache that lingers, they'll never sin against God. The peers of these children from Bethlehem itself rejected the Messiah. The children after and before grew up in the same time period as Jesus and grew up and were big head against God and big head against Jesus. I'm going to touch on that in a minute. The ones who died, right home. You see, God can take the horrible actions of a wicked, ungodly despot and make them something turn out for his glory, and they're good. While I'm there, can I just mention this? It happens that, that many times and we study Christmas, and people want to pick Christmas apart, even Christians, and they're like, I wonder what the star was. It, was. it was a comet. And a comet just, God directed the comet to move toward Bethlehem. Or it was two planets came together and gave a bright light or whatever. And can I say this? The scripture doesn't tell us what it is. And so if you focus all your attention on trying to figure out and argue what the thing is. Or how about this one? He wasn't born on December 25th. How about we say this? He was born. And we're celebrating it not about the presence and the gifts. We should be celebrating about it that God became man. And arguing about and trying to figure out is it December 25th or is it April 8th? Or Stop arguing over the minutiae, the small things, and focus on absolute untold truths. Yes, it's true. The early church did not celebrate his birth. They focused more on his resurrection. But as scripture became preeminent... This is what people don't talk about. As scripture became preeminent in the global church, as the church expanded, and people read Matthew, and people read Luke, they were like, this is a significant event. But the capstone was John. And I'm going to read that for you later. But when John's words came in, they were like, this birth is significant. And since that time, the Christian church has celebrated the birth of Christ, twisted as it is with more thoughts about giving You should be thinking about the greatest gift ever given. But we're talking about the cost. Come come back with me to chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And I see the third one, and that's the, the magi, as they call them, the wise men. Now, we sing we three kings. We don't think that they're kings. I like how Pastor had put it when he taught through this. These guys are king makers. I'll get to that in a moment. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. 
So these guys are coming, if you look at a map, these guys are coming from the direction today we would say of Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Iraq, Iran, and how much more? If you just go due east, that's where these guys are from. They're from the east. How far? It never says. But they do have access to something. Verse 2, they said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. These guys knew that the significance of the star was connected to Judah, Judea, and it was connected to the coming of their king, their ultimate king. Now, how did they find out? Did you know there's one verse in the book of Numbers? You know that part in your Bible that's still stuck together? Where you haven't read through there yet? In the book of Numbers, there's a thing that talks about a scepter and a star arising. These guys had a copy of the Hebrew Scriptures in whatever nation they lived in, and they searched the writings from everywhere, Babylon, Persia. They searched all these writings and came up with this, and they said, that's got to be the answer. There's a star connected with this little country. They're like, that little country? You mean the one where Solomon used to be? It's just a peanut country now. And the three of them agreed, we need to go see. And they made this trek, and we don't know how far they made it. Now you say, why do we think there are three? Well, there are three gifts. But I want you to know, I can carry three gifts. But it does say wise men, so it was probably like me and Brother Eric and maybe Brother Phil and maybe most of you guys that are wiser than we are. It could have been a whole entourage of people. But the key thing was, as these men traveled, they had come for one purpose and one purpose only. We want to worship this king. And in worship, worship involves wonder. Worship isn't just brookie screw, bait and lament. This is like, come and see. Because we know he's just born. We know he's a baby. Come, show us his family. Come, show us his palace. Come, show us his kingdom. Come, show us his subjects. Come, show us everything about this newborn king. Verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. First of all, this does bring a thing. Herod's ordering the death of the children in Bethlehem. He wanted everyone killed under what age? Two years. Two years old and under. That was what he ordered. That means that that was when they first saw the star. Because that was the time that they gave. Notice here that they didn't come and find the babe lying in a manger like the shepherds did. They, found, they find Mary and the child, not baby. Mary and the child in a house in Bethlehem. So the time frame here is different. It's a little later. How much? We, we really don't know. It could be up to two years later. But they're there in Bethlehem, and these men come. And I cannot imagine Mary's face when these men show up. Because obviously they are, they're not just wealthy. You can tell these are men of science. These are men of honor. These are men of study. And they come. But when they come in and they see everything as they understood it to be, it said they presented unto him their gifts. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold is something that you give to a king. Possession of it, actually, and sometimes in history, uh, you could be killed for possessing gold if you were not royalty. I don't know that that was the case here, 
but they presented gold to a baby. Can you, I just can't imagine, first of all, as they're giving the gifts and they're looking, and it says Mary, it doesn't even say Joseph is here. Maybe he is, maybe he's working. But as they're handing it to him, I imagine one of them is going, where, where is the rest of his kingdom? Where are his servants? It's just his mom. Here, mom. Gold. They gave frankincense. Frankincense is an incense. You can, you can buy it on the internet. Well, you can buy gold on the internet if you have money. Or you can actually get it here in the country. But frankincense, you can buy that. It's an incense. It, has, it puts up a good smell. It speaks of Christ's ministry as our high priest. And then they gave myrrh. Now, myrrh is the same as frankincense. It comes in chunks. It's a resin like you would get from a tree. And it, it's this mixture. But with myrrh, in addition to using it for incense and perfume and even medical purposes, myrrh is something that they also used to wrap the dead in. In fact, they used it with Jesus. John writes in John chapter 19 that Nicodemus came to the tomb and he brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes so that they could wrap the body. You see, myrrh is already speaking of his death. In fact, when they, the shepherds came and found him wrapped in swaddling clothes, swaddling clothes the way they were was not the manner of wrapping up babies, then or now. It was the way you wrapped bodies. And for whatever reason, they wrapped him. Even his birth is pointing to his death. But I'm trying to picture these men because these men don't fear Herod and they know his story. Don't you know the whole world knows about Herod? Herod said, when you find him, bring me word and I will come and worship him. They all looked at each other when they got there and they went, I'm not telling that nut job. They didn't fear the king. They, they, they were just obeying God. God's the one that led them there. Now, have you ever thought, what are, they, what are Mary and Joseph going to do with gold and frankincense and myrrh? Well, it's going to be a lot of frankincense. House is always going to smell good. And then the myrrh, you know, Jesus got a cold again. Rub the myrrh under his nose, right? Boiling myrrh. Jesus, here, smell that. What are they going to do with it? I tell you what they're going to do with it. They're going to sell it. You see, in the connection with this story, the angel came to them again and said, you need to flee to Egypt. They're going to try to kill you. They weren't in Bethlehem when the slaughter came. And you say, how do you finance that trip? They don't, they're, they're, they're from Nazareth. They've traveled 140 kilometers to stay in this place. They don't have any more. They haven't got money. They're not rich. This gold and frankincense and myrrh helps them to pay. And that's the next one I want to talk about. What did it cost Mary and Joseph? It cost the wise men their treasures to find the king. But I want you to know it cost Mary and Joseph their reputation to make Jesus known. Their reputation. Look, look back in chapter 1. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. It happened this way. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now the angel had told her. That's recorded in Luke. But Joseph doesn't know this yet. Mary's got Bell. And he is feeling like she has done something really bad against God and against me. We're supposed to be married. So Joseph, her husband, being a just man, a righteous man, and not willing to make her a public example, know this, public example meant a woman that commits adultery or fornication according to the law is to be stoned with the man she did it with. That's Old Testament law. He is a righteous man, but he doesn't want to make her a public example. So he, it says, is minded 
to put her away privily. Like, send her someplace where she can just have the baby. Nobody knows. Later she can come back into life. But he loves her so much, I can't put her out to the law. But while he thought on these things, but if I do that, I'm breaking the law. But if I, if I, if I don't, if I protect her, then, then my love is still alive. Oh God, what do I do? While he thought on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take to thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, this is an angel appearing. Anybody met an angel this week? Like he just came down, knocked on the door, scared you to death. Every time angels appear in the Bible, they scare people to death. They always have to say, fear not. Always have to start with fear not, because they terrify people. But he comes and he speaks to Joseph and he tells him this. And so he's like, just go ahead and go through with this marriage with Mary. Know this, it's the Holy Ghost who has conceived in her womb the Son of God. And you, when he's born, are not going to call him Joe Jr. You're not going to name him after your uncle or your cousin or custom blipla. You call him Yeshua, Jesus. That's what his name is going to be. Well, they did it. Well, you know, when you read through the history of Joseph and Mary, there are tidbits throughout the New Testament, or throughout the Gospels, that let us know how people felt about Jesus. At one point, the Pharisees are arguing with him. They're like, you, you, you don't know what you're talking about. You say that you know this and you know that. And then they, he, said, he said, we're your father. They said, we are not born of fornication. You're like, Why, where did that come from? Oh, Jesus' reputation. You see, everybody knew that Jesus' mother was pregnant before she was with her husband, Joseph. And so therefore, she had slept with some other guy. And his whole life, it went like that. Everywhere they went, it was shame. They, they carry that burden. I mean, it isn't just the burden of a 140-kilometer walk from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It's not just that she had to have a baby in a barn. No, it's, it's, it's the constant thing for the rest of their life where people would look at her like, And we just think Mary just walked around like this holy woman and everybody loved her. They didn't. They mocked her. And they mocked Joseph because you're a fool. You let your wife sleep with somebody else and now you, look at you, you round like it's yours. And even so, you guys weren't even married yet. Like everything was ready, but you weren't married. And the whole life, Joseph and Mary are putting up with this, with, with Jesus. And you're like, well, wait a minute, this is the son of God. Yeah, the rest of the world does not know that. You say, would God let somebody be misunderstood their whole life? That's the story of Scripture. If you're going to follow God, people are not going to understand. Why did you give up that good job to go into the ministry? I've heard many people say, not to me, but to others. Why? Why would you give up a good-paying job to move over here to be part of that church? Why would you be part of that church that doesn't have... Our church has all of these programs and we have all this BLOS and all this. Why would you go to this little church? Why would you take your time and go to Anita? Why would you work in Anita or Cupiano? Why would you go to such a place? To the world, it just seems, what? What? God, God calls you to that. Today... We think Mary and Joseph are it. We think that they are awesome. We think it's incredible that they did what they did, but in their days, it cost them their reputation to make Jesus known. Do you know that even in their family, only Elizabeth and Zechariah knew? Because when 
when Mary came and visited Zechariah or Elizabeth, and Elizabeth got Bell, and it's John the Baptist. Remember what John the Baptist did? Tanim, tanim, backflips inside. Woohoo, woohoo! Messiah's here. Woohoo, woohoo! And he's still inside his mom. But she's like, "Wow, what is it that the mother of my Lord?" She knew. She knew it was the truth. But everybody else, they don't know. They don't know. The angels had appeared to Mary and Joseph, but not to the community. But think of the messages that they heard. Luke, I love how Luke, when he did his research, would write Mary's thoughts. That Mary said she would hear these things from Simeon, from Anna, from the angels, and she kept them in her heart. Who's going to believe it? Where is she going to stand and say, I know you guys think that I did something wrong, but I didn't. An angel came to me. An angel came and talked to me. If you're, if you're a parent and your child said, but mom, I really didn't do that. An angel came to me and said, go break that window. You, you would be like, no, nobody's believing them. But they know in their hearts, we have heard from God. The angel that spoke to them is not more important than the God who sent them, but that is the same angel that talked to Daniel. Like, can you imagine, like, he came, but you know what? Forget the fact that it's the same angel that talked to Daniel. It's the same God that talked to Daniel. It cost him everything. But, but, but I want to point out, the last, the last one is the one who paid the most, the highest cost for Christmas. Turn with me to John chapter 1. And that was God. That was God. Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, I think, says, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. What a gift that he gave, giving his son. John, when John penned these words, I think this pulled it together for so many people. Verse 10, he, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came to his own, his own place, and his own people received him not. <laughs> the Jews didn't receive him. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And then the Christmas part of John's narrative. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Mary has a baby. Joseph catches the baby, hands it to the mom. The two of them are looking at what they have been told is the son of God. He needs to be cleaned. He needs susu. He's going to need a nappy change. But we know what the angel said, but what we see, but what God said, but what we see, but what God said. The shepherds, angels we have heard on high, they come, they hear this, they run, they run, they run. But you know what the angels are told? This is a baby you're going to find. And the city of David is the Savior. They come. They're like, that's a baby. But he's a Savior. But he's a baby. But he's a Savior. Mary and Joseph have got to embrace God's word and say, this is true no matter what I'm seeing. The shepherds come. They got, they've got to embrace God's word and say, this is true. The wise men who have traveled, they've studied for at least two years. They've traveled who knows how far to get here, even under the diabolical eye of King Herod. They get there. They come in. He's the king of the Jews. He's a little boy with a mom. 
no servants. But God said. All of them have to keep falling back to that one thing. God said, God said, God said. When we come to this for you, will you hear this? That because God loved the world so much, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, that message, which is so simple, summed up in John 3, 16, that most of us have embraced and enjoyed and savored and tasted, that's what we need to share with the world. Like the shepherds, when they went, they saw the baby, I don't know how long they hung around, but they took off and they told everybody, we've seen it. Simeon and Anna, when they saw the child in the temple just a few days later, they told people about it. The come and see becomes go and tell. And that's what God's given us. What is it going to cost you? Well, if, if you don't ever trust Christ, if you are not a believer, you'll be like Herod, and it will cost you your soul. You can have all the lotupasin you got, want, but if you don't know Jesus, suppose you know Savi, go to Jesus Christ. You know me, kiss him, I'll say, Savior, believe you. You better not. Bethlehem. Bethlehem lost those children. If we don't train our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, if we don't teach them the real meaning of Christmas, the world's going to pull them out to say, oh, when I grew up, I was so shortchanged. Me no kissing, good place, something will pop on a mama. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get me a job and I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to show the world that I can be prosperous and miss the entire meaning, not just of Christmas, but the meaning of life. Forsaking life for things. Bethlehem's loss was smaller than that. The wise men who gave their treasure to come, they gave their treasure. It wasn't the treasure that they gave, it was the heart with which they gave it. To forsake, to come so far. All the things. Would we, would we do that? Are you giving everything about you to know Jesus better? And Mary and Joseph, are we, are we going to be like Mary and Joseph this holiday season and let Christ be known? You go to the village, village comes to you, however it works. Are you going to let people know that Jesus is the most important thing in your life? It's not the only thing you'll talk about for the holidays, but make it one of the topics. Hello, we call it Christmas. Lord, thank you for your people. We've come today to worship him, Christ the Lord. I thank you for your, your faithfulness, God, in the stories of these people and how, Lord, in, in working effectually in them and whether it's in rejection in Herod's case or reception in the case of the wise men, God, may we learn from that and may we appreciate the unspeakable gift that you gave because you love the world so much. And may we humble ourselves. Lord, if, if we're believers, today I pray that we get away from sin. Lord, we would draw nigh to you. You promised if we draw nigh to you, you draw nigh to us. You're already there. You want us to be there. God, bring us to yourself. And may we, through this holiday season, be like Mary and Joseph. And whatever the cost, let, it, let the world know that Jesus Christ is worth everything in this world. Lord, Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for 2021 and all of its trials, all of the heartache. You're able to take it and make it into a beautiful story. And so, Father, I pray that we would take the, what we have left of this year and not look at it, as a, at it as a leftover, but look at it as an investment as we prepare to go into a new year. That We would begin now knowing that every day is new. 
Thank you again, Father, for your unspeakable gift. Bless your people. Be glorified today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.